It's so great to be here. You know, Josh is uh, one of the sharpest young leaders, pastors I know. I hope you realize that. And you guys have a great church here. And uh, so uh, three guys were sitting around one night playing poker, and the subject of death came up. And one of them said, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? And the first guy said, I want them to say I was a brilliant surgeon who saved many lives. And the second guy said, well, I want people to say that I was a dedicated family man who loved his wife and his kids well. And the third guy said, well, I want people to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> Believe it or not, more and more are saying, look, he's moving. As modern medicine resuscitates more and more people from what's called clinical death, where their brain waves stop, their heart stops beating, and yet they come back to speak something about the life to come. And it's not a casual experience. You know, the Gallup poll found that one out of 25 Americans, something like 13 million Americans have had a near-death experience. Now, I knew nothing about this. Uh, I was a skeptic. I didn't know what I believed about God or Jesus or the afterlife uh, when my dad was dying of cancer. And I saw on his bedside table one night the first book on near-death experiences. I picked it up, started reading it, couldn't put it down, read it in one night, and at the end said, oh my gosh, this God stuff may be real. And if so, what could be more important than figuring this out? And that led me on a spiritual journey where the next year I got in a, a small group Bible study, you know, kind of like what you're doing with outposts and huddles, and I came to faith in Jesus. Now, fast forward, I went from a career in engineering into full-time ministry and a seminary, and I've studied the Bible for the last 30 years, but I've also studied about a thousand near-death experiences over the last 30 years. And I wrote Imagine Heaven to show how these experiences are like dots of color on the picture of this exhilarating life to come that the Bible's been giving us all along. For two reasons. One, to help skeptics like me realize how real God is and how much he loves us and the wonderful life he has prepared for us. But also for Christians to help us imagine heaven because Colossians 3.1 tells us, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth because that's where your real life is. Now, all of these experiences though, I hold... Uh, a little tentatively, because what I've realized is every near-death experience is interpreting something that they have to interpret in their own worldview. But when you look at them across the board, they're reporting the same things, though they may not always interpret them the same way. I kind of look at it like this. Imagine if this life that we're living right now in three dimensions, right, uh, of, of time and space, or uh, one dimension of time uh, imagine that this is all a flat two-dimensional screen of black and white. And death means you are separated from your physical body, right? So imagine at death, you're ripped off this flat two-dimensional screen and you're brought into a three-dimensional world of color that was all around you all the time, but you didn't know where it was because you didn't even have this dimension. And now you experience this this world, and you're able to see your old world for what it was, this flat black and white experience. And then you have to go back into that flat black and white experience and try to describe three dimensions and color in flat two-dimensional black and white terms. How would you do it? That's what I'm convinced these people are doing. Now, today I'm going to let you hear from four of the 120 near-death experience stories I tell throughout Imagine Heaven. Uh, people who had 
nothing to gain by making up these crazy stories. A, a doctor, a surgeon, a tenured college professor, a commercial airline pilot, and a pastor. All they had to gain was to lose credibility. Uh, they didn't need the money, and yet listen to what they say about how real this experience was. Watch. Dr. Mary Neal is an orthopedic surgeon who shares her medical practice and her love for outdoor adventure with her husband, Bill. In 1999, they planned an adventure that took Mary on a spiritual journey few have taken and returned to talk about. My husband and I really enjoy kayaking. We enjoy traveling. We speak Spanish. We've traveled internationally a number of times. And so for my husband's birthday, I said, okay, this is the year we're, we're gonna do it. So we went to Chile for a vacation to kayak. After a week of kayaking, Bill sat out the final day with a sore back. Mary and the rest of their group kayaked through a treacherous stretch of the river. These are drops of 10 to 15 feet, 20 feet maybe, which for an experienced kayaker is not a crazy thing. I went over the main drop, and as I crested over the drop, I could see the tremendous turbulence and tremendous volume. And as I hit the bottom of the drop, the front end of my boat became pinned. I and my boat were immediately and completely submerged. I was absolutely pressed to the front deck of the boat. And I couldn't move my arms even back far enough to reach my spray skirt, let alone push myself out. I very sincerely asked that God's will be done, and I meant it. After several minutes of searching, the group leaders realized Mary was trapped under the falls. They came out on the rocks and they kept trying to get to the boat, but the force and the volume of the water was such that they just kept being flushed through. I mean, they just couldn't get to me. At one point, they sort of recognized that it was really turning into body recovery, uh, not so much of a rescue. I know I've been underwater too long to be alive, yet I feel more alive than I've ever felt. And this is more real than anything I've ever experienced. Dr. Neal was dead for 30 minutes. And yet what she said is common. She felt more alive than she's ever felt before. So imagine that time in your life that you dreaded the most when you pass from this life into whatever's next. Imagine you're out of this physical body, but you have a new body. And that's one of the commonalities, that we're out of this body, but we have a new spiritual body. And they say not just with five senses, it feels like more like 50 senses. It's the most exhilarating experience that you've ever had. And people say that initially they leave their body, but they remain in the vicinity so they can describe the resuscitation attempts that were happening. And in chapter two, I write about skeptical doctors that were convinced that this is real because of what people reported that they couldn't have otherwise seen. Like cardiologist, Dr. Michael Sabum was one I talked to who didn't believe that near-death experiences were a real thing. He said, before talking with Pete, one of his patients, and scores like him, I didn't believe there was such a thing as a near-death experience. Pete told me he'd left his body during his first cardiac arrest and had watched my resuscitation attempts. When I asked him to tell me exactly what he saw, he described the resuscitation with such detail and accuracy, I could have later used the tape to teach physicians. He said, these people like Pete Morton saw the details of the resuscitation they could not otherwise have seen. 
One patient noticed a physician who failed to wear scuffs over his white shoes during open heart surgery. In many cases, I was able to confirm the patient's testimony with medical records and the hospital staff. And Dr. Sabum studied these for five years and then ended up writing a book on why he was convinced it was real and published his findings in the Journal of the American Medical Association. Uh, Dr. Jeff Long, a radiation oncologist, read it there and thought, no, this is BS. Never heard of this, but he started asking his patients. And what you find is, see, people have had this experience are very hesitant to talk about it because people make fun of it. They, they think they're crazy, but it's realer than real, if you can imagine that. Jeff Long ends up studying, Dr. Long studies a thousand of them and says this, by studying thousands of detailed accounts of NDEers, near-death experiencers, I found the evidence that led to this astounding conclusion. NDEs provide such powerful scientific evidence, it's reasonable to accept the existence of an afterlife. And what they found across the globe is reports like in The Lancet, the, the Europe's most prestigious medical journal, they reported a, a guy coming into a hospital in Holland. He'd had a cardiac arrest, he was, he was comatose. Uh, they're going to shock him. They go to ventilate him and realize that, uh, intubate him, and they realize he had dentures. So the nurse took his dentures out, put it in the lower drawer of a crash cart. They shocked him. He's, his heart started beating, but he never came to an ER. They move him to another room. A week later, he comes to, and he said, I could see everything going on in the ER, even though his eyes were closed the whole time. He was comatose. He described all the nurses and doctors in there, what they did to him, and told them exactly where they could find his lost dentures in the lower drawer of the crash cart where that nurse put them. And these kinds of stories are what led many skeptical doctors to believe there's something real going on here. Now, I believe the Apostle Paul actually had a near-death experience when he got stoned to death in Lystra, stoned to death with rocks. Always have to just make that clear, right? So it's reported in Acts chapter 14. It says this, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. But as the believers got around him, he got up and went back into town. Now listen to what Paul says later about that experience. He says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Why didn't he know? Well, because it feels like ourselves, our real body, but it's a spiritual body. I do know, he says, I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding I, that cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. And Paul goes on to explain that when we die, it's like, this is, it's like we get a body upgrade, you know, better than a cell phone upgrade, right? It's like this is version 1.0, we get version 2.0. And by the way, Jesus got version 3.0, but we won't go into that. But Paul talks about it. He says, our bodies are buried in brokenness, 1 Corinthians 15, but they're raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, they're raised in strength. They're buried natural human bodies, but they will be raised spiritual bodies. And I explore this more in Imagine Heaven, but the main thing to know is you're yourself. We're ourselves, we recognize each other. But we have eyesight that is in new dimensions, new scope, we can see miles. Communication is pure, it's thought to thought, heart to heart. Uh, and movement is, is unlimited. We're ourselves but we experience life in new dimensions. You know, the thing I find is that people have such a horrible view of heaven. I mean, even Christians. You know, we think, we think heaven's going to be boring. We, we picture it like an endless church service. That sounds boring to me, and I'm a pastor, all right? 
But that's because everything in this life eventually gets boring and frustrating. You know why? Because this is not the life we were meant for. It's temporary. And, and this life is really more a shadow of the real life to come. In fact, it says that in Hebrews 8, 5, that the tabernacle God had Moses develop or build says they serve in a system of worship, that tabernacle, that's only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. So if what we experience here is just a shadow of the real life to come, think about the beauty of earth and imagine beauty in new dimensions of time and space because that's another commonality. So after observing their lifeless body for a little bit, people say they move and they describe it going through some a tunnel or a pathway. They describe it different ways. I kind of wonder if that's like going through a wormhole from our time-space dimensions into God's, you know, multidimensional universe. But Paul says this of it. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And Isaiah saw this. He, picked, he uh, had a vision of heaven and the angels were declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So think about that for a second. Think of the beauty of earth, all the beauty of earth and how it points to something glorious about God. And yet, this creation is wounded. It's marred. It's the messed up version. So why would we think where God lives, creation would be less than this? Romans 8 says, all creation, this earth is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, this creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it'll join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know all creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Earth labors under famine and disease and, and death and destruction because it's not the one to hang on to. But there is a real life and a real world more beautiful, more concrete than this one ever was. You know, Don Piper is a pastor who got run over by an 18-wheeler coming across a bridge, flattened his car, EMS showed up, pronounced him dead. He was dead for 90 minutes while they waited for the jaws of life to, to uh, cut him out of the wreckage. But he said he was instantly uh, at the gates of heaven. Not everybody goes through a tunnel. And a, a welcoming committee of friends and relatives came to greet him. And listen to how Don and then Dr. Mary Neal describe the beauty of what they saw there. So take us back to that day. You saw the 18-wheeler come. What was the next memory you had? Well, I took my last breath on the bridge, and I was, uh, my next breath was at one of the 12 gates of heaven. I'm looking through the gates. I'm looking down the street. There is a river that flows from this this throne or this hill that's high and lifted up. And I know that's the river of life because we're told that it flows from the throne of God. So uh, many of the things that we know and enjoy and love here uh, are visible there as well. Um, I would say this, and, and um, heaven's never going to be less than this. It's always going to be more. Yeah. In heaven, it's all big. I mean, it, it so far transcends any words that we can happen that we could come up with here. If you want to talk about uh, uh, meadows and flowers and beauty, and if you want to talk about Did trees. Did you see that? Oh yes, they're just magnificent, except that they are so brilliant and so vivid 
as to really define description. So you live in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, one of the most beautiful places on earth. How did that compare to the, this beautiful path leading to heaven? One of the problems that I and most people had when they came back from a near-death experience is that even the most intense beauty here on earth, even the most intense love here on earth is very, very pale in comparison to the intensity of the love and to the intensity of the beauty in God's world. Everything was far more intense. The colors were beyond anything we could ever experience here. And we get to experience and explore all this beauty together. Because another commonality is the realization heaven is meant for relationship. You know, Jesus said it. He said to love God and love people are the two greatest commandments that sum up the whole Bible. Relationship is what it's all about. And so why would we ever think that God wants to rip relationship apart from us in eternity? It's just the opposite. We'll know each other. We'll recognize each other. We can wear what we wear today. You know, we can, but we also uh, can experience so much more. Jesus said this his last night on earth to his closest friends. He said, there's more than enough room in my father's home. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I'll come to get you so you will always be with me where I am. You know, Marv Besson was a banker who died in a hospital and said he had this welcoming party consisting of friends and relatives. And he said both the friends were prayer warriors. We'd spent many hours praying together. I'm not sure if that's why God chose these two guys for me to see. They were significant to my spiritual life. In fact, everyone I saw had been influential in shaping my life in some way. A woman who died giving birth said this, I recognized my grandmother and a girl I had known when I was in school and many other relatives and friends. It was a very happy occasion. I felt they had come to protect or to guide me. Now, word of warning here, because Mary said many of them said the same thing, that they were there to guide and welcome, but also protect. This welcoming committee was there to protect. And they didn't exactly know what from. And what I realized is that these people are just getting a peek into a vast world, vastly larger than our world. So they're not seeing all there is to see. It's kind of like Mount Rushmore. Everybody's used to seeing this side of Mount Rushmore, but there's another side of Mount Rushmore that people don't often see. <laughs> it's not that pretty, is it? Now, but here's what's significant and very important is that I found that a commonality in these thousand near-death experiences I studied is that many said there was a border or a boundary they knew they couldn't cross and still come back to life. In other words, this is not full biological death. Whatever it is, it's a peak, but there's this border or boundary they can't cross, which means don't go reading near-death experiences to put together your picture of the afterlife because you can't know from near-death experiences what happens beyond the border or boundary. But all these give color to what God has already revealed in the scriptures. Use that as your framework and let these just color that in. Listen to how Mary uh, talks about relationship in heaven and this welcoming committee. By the way, Jesus said that we will see this welcoming committee. He said, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they'll welcome you to an eternal home. Now think about that as you... You're greeted by this... Welcoming Welcome. committee? Yes. What was it? That's what some it people was a talk committee. about. I absolutely knew that they were there to welcome me and greet me and make me feel loved and comfortable. 
And I also knew that they were there to protect me. What's your sense of what relationship is like? Well, that's really clear. Because there is no doubt that the only thing that truly matters is loving God and being a window through which God's light can shine to this world and loving each other. I absolutely think that people who are important in our life, and I'm not really sure what the right word is, but our life circle, and it may be relatives or it may be people that come into our lives for a very brief period of time and have a profound impact. Those may also be part of our, our life's neighborhood. Yeah. I was able to see many, again, people, angels, spirits, I'm not sure, very busy. And I don't know what they were doing. Inside the archway. Inside, they were all very busy. I don't know what they were doing, but they were doing something and clearly doing God's work. And so was it like a city bustling with light? Yes. Life or? It was bustling is a great word for it. When I arrived, there was this momentary acknowledgement and not cheering, but almost like fantastic, welcome. And this, this outpouring of love for me. And again, it was this profound sense of, wow, I, not only do I not deserve this, but it was this profound sense of uh, understanding that that is how each person is greeted. Mm. I mean, there are billions of us, but that is how much each God loves each special. person. Yes. Love is the point. And that's what they all come back realizing. But to love God is first. And it's amazing how another commonality is that people experience this God of light who is love, unconditional love, and in his presence they get a life review. And, and you see this uh, across the globe. People know he's God, and those who know Jesus know he's Jesus. Those who don't, don't know who he is. But of course, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he's this brilliant being of light who loves them more than they've ever been loved. Now, as Christians, we shouldn't be shocked by that because Revelation 1-7 says, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And do you know that even blind people see and see him and see the same things. I report three blind people in uh, Imagine Heaven. One of them was Vicky, who died in an auto accident, but she leaves her body and now she can see and she's confused by adjusting to sight because she'd been blind from birth. And she says she goes through this tunnel and ends up in this beautiful place of grass and trees and flowers with a vast number of people. And she said it was a place of tremendous light. She said, but the light was something you could feel as well as see. That's common as well. Everybody there was made of light, and I was made of light, and what the light conveyed was love. And there was love everywhere. It was like love came from the grass, love came from the birds, love came from the trees. It was incredible, really beautiful. And I was overwhelmed by that experience because I couldn't really imagine what light was like. It's still a very emotional thing. And people commonly say that the light is life and love. It's all one, and it's palpable. Now, what's amazing is Vicky and other blind people describe the light of heaven as coming out of everything, but they wouldn't have heard that here. Light shines on everything. 
And yet it's exactly what John writes about when he had his vision of heaven in Revelation where he says, the city, the city of God that Mary was just describing has no need of sun or moon for the glory of God, the light and love and life of God illuminates the city and the lamb Jesus is its light and the nations will walk in that light. And we can appear to each other, you know, just like we do now our normal clothes, but we can also radiate the light and love and life of God, maybe to the degree we allowed it to radiate through our lives today. And you know, Daniel forecasted this in 500 BC, the prophet Daniel said, the dead will rise up, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting disgrace, but those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. And so Vicki ends up seeing two friends, Debbie and Diane, who were two of her best friends growing up. They had both been blind and severely mentally and physically challenged. They had died at ages 9 and 11. She sees them in heaven. But she said they're in their prime and healthy and whole. And then she sees Jesus, more brilliant than all the rest of them. He, she never wants to leave his presence, and he gives her a life review. And in this life review, she relives her life. And this is common because time works there, like Peter said in 2 Peter 3, to the Lord, a, year is a, 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 a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And that's what people say. And in this life review, she sees herself interacting with Diane and Debbie. And when she comes back, she's able to describe the way Diane and Debbie moved and things she couldn't have possibly known about them because she's blind and couldn't see when she came back. Now, this life review is common all around the globe where we relive in the presence of God every thought, every motive, every deed, feel more loved than we've ever felt before, and yet we see things the way they really are. And Jesus said this, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 4, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time, wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and expose the motives of the heart, and at that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, don't miss that. God wants to praise you. He wants to reward you for every good motive. Everything you did out of motive for loving God and loving others, every little kind act, he wants to reward. And this life review is just giving us a foretaste of that. Now, if the life review scares you because you're not sure you're right with God, you need to know something. It's never too late. It's never too late for anyone, no matter what we've done. Because relationship with God is a gift. He's the God of the second chance. There's no one who loves you more. But don't reject him. Because if you reject him, he'll give you what you want. Howard Storm was a tenured college professor. He was an atheist. Taking students on a trip in Paris when his duodenum, his lower abdomen, ruptured, Usually you die within five hours of that. He went to a Paris hospital. It was a weekend. They couldn't find a surgeon. Nine hours later, he passes. Now, Howard said he believed that when you die, it's just lights out. There's just nothing. And yet what he found is he suddenly felt the worst he'd ever been. Then all of a sudden he feels like Superman. He feels better than he's ever felt in his life. And there are these people there in the hospital saying, come with me. He has this welcoming committee, and he thought they were bringing him to surgery. He didn't understand what was going on. Now, if that experience stopped right there, it would seem like it's all good. But as he followed them, they led him out into this outer darkness that Jesus talked about, and they turned on him and deceived him 
and mauled him. And every time he's ever talked to me about it, he has to stop and say, I suffered PTSD from this. I can't talk anymore about it. Now, the thing you need to know is those who report near-death experiences, 23% of the experiences reported were hellish in nature. So we got to make sense of that too. And I write a chapter on how do you make sense of that. But because Howard had not crossed that border or that boundary from full biological death, I think he was still able to cry out to God. And from this horrible, hellish place, he hears a song going through his mind. Jesus loves me. He couldn't even remember the rest. It was from when a neighbor took him to Sunday school as a kid. And in his heart of hearts, he so wanted it to be true. He cried out, Jesus, save me. And into this outer darkness comes this brilliant light, brighter than the sun. He said, arms reach out, pick him up, hold him, take him out of there. And in the presence of Jesus holding him with the angels, Howard gets a life review. Listen to how Howard and Dr. Neal talk about the life review. Howard, tell us about this life review that you had. There was a number of angels, I call them angels, who had been recording my entire life, all my life, and Jesus wanted them to play out in chronological order the scenes of my life. And the entire emphasis was on my interaction with other people, of course, initially starting out with my mother and father and my sisters and then, you know, school and friends and um, so you just, you saw it or you We saw it, experienced we felt it. it, we experienced it. It was really interesting because it was, um, the whole emphasis was on people and not on things. Matter of fact, there were some instances where um, I had uh, won promotions, honors, awards, and they skipped them. And Jesus, I said to Jesus, uh, you're skipping the most important thing in my life. This is what I live for to get this award, Kentucky Artist of the Year big banquet in my honor and a big cash prize and everything. And uh, he said, that's not what we're here for you to see. That's not important. What I want you to see is how you treated the students. So what I learned in my life review was that um, the um, relationship with my father, I had participated in the breakdown of that relationship as much as he did. He was not a good father to me, and I resented it, and I was angry at him, so I did everything I could subconsciously and sometimes consciously to be as rebellious and as cold-hearted towards him as possible, which only aggravated him more and made him more of a hostile father. So the things that I had seen in my life that were, I was the victim and everybody else was the bad guy, I came to find out. Um, it was a two-way street. We were both the plainest games. As my life progressed from my adolescence into my adulthood, I saw myself turning completely away from God, church, all that, and becoming um, a person who decided that life was all about um, the biggest, baddest bear in the woods wins. And now I began to experience Jesus and the angels' literal pain. What do you mean? Emotional pain with watching scenes in my life. And like, here's the nicest, kindest, most loving being I've ever met, who I realize is my Lord, my Savior, even my Creator, holding me and supporting me, trying to um, give me more understanding of my life. And it was figuratively, not literally, like I was like stabbing him in the heart as we're watching this stuff. And the last thing I wanted to do was to hurt him. And I don't want to hurt him to this day. Uh, Jesus is a very feeling man. God is a very feeling creator. 
what were you seeing played out? I saw scenes where um, my sister was in bed crying and I got up in the middle of the night and went in and put my arms around her and hugged her. And Jesus and the angels were so filled with joy that I had been willing to do that, to try and um, you know, help her a little Comfort bit her. in her grief. But those were rare, the, uh, the scenes of my indifference. Just seeing, seeing people as objects in order to maneuver around through or you know, to shift to further my, my goals and my ambitions. We did go through a life review and it was nothing like I would have imagined. What, what my, was the life review like? My life was laid bare for all its good and bad. And one of the things we did was look at many, many, many events throughout my life that I would have otherwise called terrible or horrible or sad or bad or tragic. And instead of looking at an event in isolation or looking at how it impacted me and my little world, I had the most remarkable experience of seeing the ripple effects of the event when seen 25, 30, 35 times removed. Think about how cool the day will be when you get to see that all those little acts of kindness, all those little things that you did that you thought didn't make a difference, how God used them as a ripple effect through humanity and how everything that you, know, you thought was bad or tragic that you turned to God to follow him through, he really did make all things work together for your good. And think about it, what could possibly make Howard Storm, who's this tenured college professor and an atheist, come back from this death experience in uh, Paris, and he, two years later, leaves his tenured profession to become a Christian pastor. His wife, who was a, still an atheist, divorced him because she thought he was crazy. What could explain that except Jesus? exactly what explained Paul's conversion. Paul was persecuting Christians, the guy who wrote most, most of the New Testament. And it says that he was on the Damascus road on this mission to kill Christians and a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him and fell, he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. The voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And what you'll realize is Jesus is the highlight of heaven. When people are in his presence, they feel like they've never been so loved, but they've also never been so known. You've never had a better best friend. And he's with you right now. He wants to guide you through life. They never want to leave his presence. In fact, one of the commonalities when people come back is they're depressed because that is the life to live for. Let me close with Captain Dale Black. He was a TWA airline pilot uh, has a PhD in aeronautical engineering, owned several multi-million dollar businesses in the airline industry. And I say that because, you know, every time he talked about seeing Jesus, he lost it. But when his plane crashed into a monument outside of Burbank Airport, fell 70 feet to the ground, everybody died, but he came back to talk about what he experienced. Watch this. Did you, did you see Jesus? Later, I did. That was the last thing that happened after going through the city and asking questions and 
going through at the very last moment, I had been ushered closer and closer toward the light, toward the light, toward the light. The light that's in the center, center of the city. Yeah, and then there was a stairway that was near the glass sea, which it looked like a sea, and a stairway that went up, and a large angel with the most uh, power, if we would say that, and it was clear that he was basically in charge of that stairway. And uh, I be just began to communicate uh, to this angel heart to heart. Again, it's hard to say, did we talk? It seemed like it, but then it seemed like we didn't. This communication was, was just impeccably pure. And I began to recognize, I can't go up there. I can't go up. I, I can't go up and still go back. And I was thinking, go back. Go back? What, what, what do we mean? What's that mean? And as soon as I'm thinking, go back, the angel moved just to the side. But I looked into the eyes of the warmest, kindness, most wonderful. I knew this was the Son of God. I knew this was my Savior. And all of a sudden, my knees buckled. My legs lost their strength. And I just went down. I couldn't stand. I was, I was not worthy to... I was not worthy to stand in His presence. Funny that I didn't feel worthy to be in heaven, yet I knew I was worthy in the early part. I was somehow given this, granted this authority, but I had this supernatural... Uh, gift that I was worthy. Somebody had done something for me. He had. Yes. And so I'm down on my, just falling down, and I see his feet, and I grab them, and I hold his feet, and I see the scars, and I know this is the Son of God. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. It is because of him he died for everybody. It's so cool because the Bible even says, no, I take that back. Jesus said that uh, I have come not to condemn the world, but that the world through me will be saved. And it was because of that. He was, he's not condemning anybody. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. What sins you've done, including murder, it doesn't matter what you've done. All of it is, re, is forgivable. God can forgive anybody of anything. And then we have this free gift that we call salvation. You and I know about And that's it. what you felt and at his feet. Like. I just, but to describe this experience, I just stopped at his feet and, and I was worshiping him in down on the ground there. And I heard the voice, Dale, do you love me? <laughs> That's it. Do you love me? Mm. And I'm trying to think of all these words to say. And I'm getting ready to say, in a sense, I'm getting ready to say, but I've said nothing. And I'm getting ready to say, of course I love you, Lord. I remember who you are, what you do. I'm getting ready to say that. And he bends down and whispers into my ear. And I'm now back. Do you love me? 
It's the most important question we can answer. Can I lead us in prayer? God, thank you that that really is all you want. You created us to be your children, to love us forever, and you want us to love you. And truly, the only thing that can keep us out of heaven is our pride, saying, I don't need you. I don't need your forgiveness. And so, God, some here maybe don't know that they're right with you. But you can leave today knowing that you know that you know that you're forever right with God. And all you have to tell him, just tell him in your heart, I want what Jesus did to count for me. I want your forgiveness and your love and your guidance. I do love you. And God, thank you that you made it so simple that you did that so that people all around the globe could turn back to you in our hearts and know that we're right with you. And then those of us who have, that we would live for you, that we would live to love you and to do your work, to love people in this world. And you promise that that is worth living for because you will reward it for eternity. So God, help us be people that live to love you to serve you and to love and serve others. In Jesus' name, amen.